We've come through the Christmas story year after year, looking for insights into the events that transpired 2,000 years ago in a remote village in the Middle East. And I think over the years, we've learned many things. I mean, it's not difficult to go online and see 100 Christmas sermons these days and read the writings of Christian scholars and preachers across generations of, of work. Some of the things we've learned are these, uh, that this amazing plan of salvation was conceived even before God created the world. Jesus was always coming to rescue us. He always knew we would need rescuing. He was always coming. We learned that there would be a voice calling us to prepare the driveway to our homes, to the center of who we are, so that we will be prepared to receive the Messiah when he comes. In other words, receiving the Messiah matters. And we've learned that the specific details of the implementation of that plan formed so long ago were foretold by prophets, were announced by angels, were viewed by shepherds, that they were responded to worshipfully by wise men. And we've learned that the vehicle for the coming of the Messiah would be a simple peasant girl named Mary who was engaged to a simple craftsman named Joseph. And we've learned that the life that Jesus took on was not easy. It was further complicated by the actions of a wicked, jealous king. We know that pain surrounded the birth. Nothing about this coming Messiah was going to be easy. Not easy at all. And hopefully by now, we have learned that the one true lesson of Christmas is simply this. In the coming of Christ, God expressed his love for us. I mean, we understand that, right? This Christmas event is all about God expressing himself, of, of him demonstrating again his great love for us. We are eternally loved by God. God is for us. God is with us. God desires to be with us now and forever. And even when we fall short, even when we don't live up to his love for us, he has not lost hope in us. And this morning, I'd like to take time to cycle back briefly to the very first Sunday of Advent. As the, as the dust settles on Christmas morning and the wrapping paper floats to the ground, um, I want to just look back for a second. You remember the word that was the first word of Advent this year, don't you? The, the word was hope. And as we've watched this month live its way out, hope seems to be in increasingly short supply. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been on a COVID roller coaster. I can't track all the changes, changes in advice, changes in rules, changes in wisdom, changes in facts. I simply can't keep up anymore. And I'm exhausted with the trying. And I know that when you're tired, it's easy to lose perspective. 
as if COVID was the only thing we had to deal with, right? Maybe if that was all it was, we could just whistle our way through the dark and muscle through somehow. But COVID isn't the only thing wrong. COVID is another layer on top of what is already wrong and what is going wrong. And maybe COVID is just making some of our everyday problems unbearable. So, so where do you go next when you're in that place? How long can you persevere? And that's why I go back to this portion of the Christmas story, which feels like Christ stepping into a long perseverance, if you will. When you consider the history of Israel, when you consider the personal history of Elizabeth, these are the words of Luke 1, 26. And I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. This is Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. On the face of it, in the middle of this interaction between Mary and the angel, Mary asks some very logical questions, right? I mean, she's thoughtful about the news the angel brings to her. She ponders, she thinks, and then the angel explains, you're going to have a child, and this child will change the world order. Your child will rule over an eternal kingdom sitting on the throne of David. And the angel is obviously going faster than Mary can ponder here. Uh, the greatness of the child to come will have to wait for a moment because there's a stumbling block. And it's this. How is she going to have a child if she doesn't even have a husband yet? I mean, at Mary's age, she knows how babies are born. It isn't supposed to be possible to get a baby in the way the angel is suggesting. It's a simple and logical question. Nothing else the angel says will make any sense. If there isn't any possible way, Mary can have a baby. And so she asks, and the angel answers, this is something God can do. That's it. This is something God can do. 
In fact, Gabriel adds, women aren't supposed to have babies in their old age either, but again, this is something God can do. Because when God is on a mission, nothing will be impossible for God. When God is working out this plan that he created before he even created the world, nothing will be impossible for God. Did you catch the words? Nothing will be impossible for God. It's a great phrase. It's a wonderful phrase. But I would, I would caution you a little bit before you start bandying it about in every kind of situation. Because Gabriel's statement is not a universal statement. It is embedded in the context of this story. Because there really are plenty of things that God cannot do because they're inconsistent with his character and who he is and because he has chosen to be a certain type of being. God is always loving. God is always redeeming. God always forgives repentant sinners. God is always watching the way of the righteous. And by the promises that God has made to us, he has limited himself. He has said many times in scripture, I am the God who keeps covenant with my people, right? And you know what that means? It means he can't not keep covenant with his people. He's limited himself. So you can say anything is impossible for God, except for the things that God declares are impossible for him to do, right? And what he's told us, he will keep faith with us. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is reliable. So some of the things that God can't do, he chooses never to ignore us. He chooses not to leave us. He chooses not to punish us according to the things our sins deserve. He chooses to woo us by the Holy Spirit. He promises to take his children to be with him when they die. He can't do the opposite of any of those things. Those are things he has chosen to do. These are the choices that God has made. And these choices should anchor our hope in the future that we have with him. And yet, in spite of all that good news, there is something really special about Gabriel's words, isn't there? When the outlook is bleak, when the perseverance has been long, when we're losing hope, Gabriel's word should ring in our ears. You've heard many times what Elizabeth's like life must have been like because she's barren. There's, there's a curse assumed at this time of history if a woman is barren. And so Elizabeth bearing a child in her, own, in her old age the joy of that must have been monumental, but there still was a lifetime of bitterness lived before that. And how long do you hold on to hope when it appears that there isn't any reason to hope anymore? In the face of our inability to persevere, we should hear Gabriel's words again. Nothing will be impossible for God. God is always able to bring about his will for you. This is just something God can do.
this is just something God can do. He isn't limited by the laws of nature, though most often he chooses to work within them because, after all, he created them, right? They're his laws to begin with. He's not limited by our expectations, though sometimes he has to help us adjust them before we can see his hand at work. He isn't even limited by our lack of faith because he's revealed to us that all good fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And he is the quintessential good father to us. We can, we can rely on this God. We can trust this God. The God who can create life in Mary's womb, who can enable Elizabeth to bear a son in her old age. I mean, really, are these miracles all that amazing in the face of creation? If he spoke all that we know into existence, is it possible that the same creator God can sustain you, can redeem you, can meet the needs of your life and restore everything that is restorable? Will we trust him to do this? Will you anchor your hope for the new year in him? Will you choose to believe that he really is as powerful as Gabriel tells us he is? This morning, I've, I've thought a lot about what it means to anchor our hope in the ability of God to take us to the places he wants us to go, to bring about what he chooses to bring about through our lives, to use us for the sake of his kingdom, to use us to bring heaven to earth, to, to use us to bless those around us. I mean, you've heard me say more times than you care to hear, I'm sure, that the mission of God in the world is to love the world through us, right? And, and if we're going to believe that he actually can do that, then, then we need some, I think, mechanical ways, some very pedestrian kinds of ways to anchor our hope in him for the new year. And, and I guess rather than creating New Year's resolutions this year, I'd rather us take a hard look at the process of trusting God to help us. I mean, how does that, how does that really happen practically in any of our lives? How do, we, how do we decide to trust God? How do we flip that switch from relying on our own strength, from just sort of hoping God will get us out of this mess, to actually trusting him, anchoring our hope in him and in his resources and in his will for the year that's ahead? How do, you, how do you anchor your hope for change in the ability of Christ to bring transforming grace into my life? I, I think it starts like this. I think, I think it begins by, by admitting to ourselves that 
if we want to see God at work in our lives, we're going to have to trust him to be the one working, and it can't be us doing it. And so it starts with an admission of saying, Lord, this particular thing, this particular direction, this thing is too big for me. I can't do this. As long as you're figuring it out yourself and making your own plans to get to your own directions, um, you're limited to the resources that are yours. But the minute we begin to say to the Father, Father, this is too big for me. I really do need your help if we're going to move forward here. Um, that I've made step one. I've admitted that I need the work of God in my life to get to where I'm going. And then I had to start this process of choosing daily to articulate my hope in Christ. And I think this is done in prayer. I think this happens in prayer. And I don't want to put any form to that prayer, but I want to put substance to that prayer. I think the prayer is simply this. Lord, I am trusting you with, and you outline the problem. And I think you have to spend some time outlining the problem. I, I can't get along with this coworker. Lord, I'm going to trust you to either change me or change the coworker or change. I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord, but I'm going to trust you to change this situation so that I can have peace at my job. And every day, maybe multiple times a day, I recite the fact, Lord, I am trusting you to make a difference in this situation. What's my next step? What do I have to do, Lord? Do you have instructions for me in this area? But, but I'm trusting you, and day after day, I'm taking this particular perplexing problem to you and asking for your help, believing that you love me, that you know me, that you know the way forward for me, that you want to transform me by your grace and use me to love the world. All of those things are things that aren't going to change. His love for you, his desire to use you, to love others through you, those are, will all be consistent. What will change is your interaction with God based on the particular problem you, you place before him. And rather than making a New Year's resolution that says, I'm going to do better here, I choose to begin to trust God to assist me in a particular area. Now, it may be, if you're like me, and hopefully you're not, that you have more than one thing you're going to have to give to the Lord because there are 1, 2, 26, 39, 75 things that just need to be committed if I'm going to make progress. And, and I don't have the expectation, I don't think, that God will resolve all of those 75 things in the first 31 days of January, right? But, but if I can begin to trust God with the things that are most perplexing to me, the things where I feel most helpless to make a difference, the place where I can't see any way forward, and I can habitually bring them to God day by day in prayer and say, Lord, this is my perplexing problem. This is my perplexing disability. This is my perplexing frustration. Lord, I need your help here. I need you to transform this situation for me and and speak to me about what the next steps will be. Talk to me about those. And Lord, what you tell me to do, I'll do, by the way. Uh, it doesn't do us any good to say, Lord, I need your help to, to change the situation. And he says to you, well, forgiveness is a part of this. And you say, oh, no. You know, I'm, I'm, not, 
I'm not forgiving. I mean, you, you saw what they did. You heard what they said. You know, I, I can't, well, it doesn't work that way, right? It works by saying, Lord, whatever you want to do through me, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to cooperate in the deliverance you're going to bring. Okay? So part of this process is hearing what the Lord says in response to our offering of him the situations that we think are hopeless and then doing the very things he asks us to do so that we can move, move forward in that. I don't know how you keep track of all the things you need to keep putting into God's hand, but I would suggest writing them down so that you're able to continue to hand them off. Because my experience tells me that most of us do a good job of initially handing things off, but when we don't see the kind of immediate action that we want, we just start picking them back up and doing our own thing again. If God doesn't move fast enough for us, then we just sort of help him out. Helping him out is like having too many cooks in the kitchen all spicing the soup to their own taste. It's a bad way forward. The only helping him out we need to do is obeying the steps he gives us, right? Right? I can remember talking to my mom on the phone uh, back when my mom and dad were still in Pennsylvania, and she would say to me, uh, I made stuffed cabbages today. Now, I know in my head she can't get out of that chair. She can't walk. There's no way she made stuffed cabbages. What really happened was there was a gentleman in the kitchen who was getting instructions step by step. And she'd say, Ray, do this. Ray, do that. He'd say, well, I'm going to, don't do that. Just do what I told you to do. And by the end of it, you'd have something that resembled stuffed cabbages. It wasn't her doing it, and yet she was orchestrating it, and, and he was doing it. There, there has to be something like that in our lives, right? God is sending the instructions in, and if we're paying attention, and we really want to see things resolved in his way, if we really want his transforming grace for us and for others, if we really want to anchor our hope in him, the hope has got to be in him not in our solution to our problems. Now, I don't know how he'll get the word to you. I wish I could say that. It may come from something you hear in prayer. It may come from something you read in the word while you're reading the word. It may come from a Christian brother or sister who you've confided this problem in, who is joining you in praying so that you together can seek God's hope for a particular situation. I don't know how the answers will come to you, but I know that the next step will be supplied because the Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us into truth, to reveal God's will to us, and we can trust him to do that. And so the questions we have to ask are, will we take the most perplexing things we face and ask God to help us, and then trust that he will. Trust that he will. To, to anchor our hope in him for these perplexing situations. And then ask, Lord, 
What do I do next? How do I proceed? Continually affirming that we need his help and that we need him to provide a way out of this. You came through, Eliz- you came through for Elizabeth, Lord. Will you come through for me? You came through for Israel, Lord. Will you come through for me? You came through for all humanity, Lord. Will you come through for me? I'm trusting, I guess in inviting you to trust, that this God who has so lavishly demonstrated his love for us is worthy of our trust and able to anchor our hope. And so we can persevere in hope. We can trust that the year ahead is going to be good regardless of how exhausted and tired and overwhelmed we all feel right now. Because we know the character of the God we serve. We know the nature of his promises to us. And we know he is absolutely reliable and that nothing will be impossible for him. We trust him that way, don't we? And I invite you to trust him that way as well. This morning as we, as we close, I'd like to give you the invitation uh, to, to start this coming year in that way. The altar's here. This is a great time to say, Lord, my most perplexing problem, one, two, or three, is this. And I want to anchor my hope in you for change in this area of my life or in this relationship or in this situation or in this difficulty. Lord, I want you to make a difference that I'm going to trust you. And if you're willing to state that kind of trust, to anchor your hope in Christ, I'm going to invite you to kneel at the altar this morning and do that, to to do it right here at this place of decision-making, this place of covenant-making. I would invite you to do that. In a moment, we're going to sing, Oh, come, all you faithful, just a chorus with some alternate verses together. And while we're singing that, I would invite you to come and pray. Let's stand together as we sing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord, for he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy. Christ the Lord will give him all the glory, will give him all the glory, will give him all the glory. glory.
rest the Lord. I would invite those who are standing to be seated and we're going to uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, our confidence really is in you. We believe that because Jesus has come that, that anything is possible now, that you can redeem things that we think irredeemable, that you can transform things that seem stubborn and difficult, that your transforming grace is sufficient to change us, that your power is sufficient to change situations. And so we worship and acknowledge you this morning as the creator God for whom nothing is impossible. And Lord, we want to reach out to you and we want to anchor our hope in you for the most perplexing problems and difficult things we face. But we've heard at least one other brother in scripture say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, where our faith is weak, encourage our faith. Give us the faith we need to trust you. Help us to continue to look to you, to persevere in hope with you, Lord Jesus. Grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit in increasing measure. May, may we yield more and more of ourselves to you, Lord, that you may use us according to your will. Lord, we trust you today for marriage relationships that are very, very difficult and perplexing right now. Bring healing. We trust you for relationships with our children, Lord, that are, that are fractured and broken. And we say, Lord, bring healing and bring health to us, Lord Jesus. We pray for our family members and friends who are dealing with emotional or mental illnesses right now, Lord. And we pray, we beg you, Lord, bring your healing. Touch us, help us, show us the way forward. Father, we pray for those of us today who are suffering with deep grief and loss. Comfort us by your presence and help us. Lord, the needs that we have as your people are great, but you are greater. Your resources are sufficient. Your promises to us are outstanding. And Lord, by your grace, help us to rest in your promises today. Help us to trust you day by day to, to anchor our hope in you for tomorrow. Help us to trust the one who began a good work in us will carry that work on to full completion. Help us to trust the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us to cast our care on you. Father, for each of these brothers and sisters who are kneeling here and for myself, I pray that you would pour out your grace on all of us today. Enable us to trust you. Manifest yourself in our lives. Grant us your joy. For we pray this in the name of Christ who came for us and is with us. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you now and always. Amen.